Brog. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Her name is Dr. Carrie Chant. She happens to be an Australian health official, and she spoke last Thursday in a live television press conference in Australia representing the state of New South Wales. She made an interesting statement. She said, we will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. She was talking about the seriousness with which Australia is taking the COVID issue and virtual total lockdown. It is probably the most totalitarian representative representation of the response to COVID that we have seen in our world. And she said, we will be looking at what contact tracing looks like in the new world order. What was she talking about? And Dr. Champ made the comment, as she made her comment, Newsweek found that the new world order had become a trending topic on Twitter in the United States, the UK, and Australia. And as of Thursday morning, there had been more than 18,300 tweets referencing the New World Order across three countries. Fact-checkers debunked the claims, but the Mayor of London candidate, Lawrence Fox, shared the video and included the phrase, New World Order, again, that was shared thousands of times. A BBC online disinformation journalist questioned Dr. Chant's use of the New World Order term, suggesting, well, if you're a public health official discussing COVID containment measures in a televised briefing, do not use the phrase New World Order. Why? Why do they not want someone to use the phrase New World Order? When it was used back by President George Herbert Walker Bush, in 1990, before a joint session of Congress, for the first time an American president had used that term and who repeated it about 200 times during his administration. A consummate globalist he was, as was his entire family, his father and his sons, consummate globalists. What's wrong with using the word New World Order? The question is not whether there's a new world order, but whether and who will be king. Who will be king of the mountain? Who will be king of the world? Who will rule and reign ultimately from the Temple Mount? That's the real issue. The term new world order is merely a descriptive term to describe the amalgamation of the nations of the earth to rule and reign over the planet in a very different kind of government than the world has ever experienced before. It is the unification, the the ultimate globalization of the world, not just through economics, not just through multinational corporations, but in terms of government, 
in terms of business, in terms of health care, in terms of your ability to buy or sell, in terms of how to operate an economic system without cash and a host of other issues. That's really what we're talking about and why. Why is that so necessary and why is that so important and why is it then that so many don't want to talk about it? If you go back into the 1960s and 70s, we knew then that there were a lot of people talking about the uh, Trilateral Commission and the Bilderbergers and so on. And a lot of people just raised their eyebrows and said, here we go again, another conspiracy theory. Well, what was seen then to be the earliest expressions of the so-called globalization or new world order has actually proved to be true. Whether or not the debunkers want to admit it or not. And they have their reasons for not wanting to admit it because it gets in the way of the very efforts to create the one world government. And they don't want people to know about it, at least not that much. They wanted to move far enough down the road so that by the time it becomes normative to talk about it, it's too late for anybody to respond in a negative fashion. But again, what is the reason? What is the ultimate issue that's involved? Well, may I suggest to you that the ultimate issue that's involved was spoken of by David, the king of Israel, in Psalm 2. In Psalm 2. Now, you may not have ever thought that the Psalms were prophetic. Oh, but they were. In fact, there are so many prophetic psalms talking about the coming of the Messiah, what he would be like, what he will do, what is going to happen to him, and so on. But in reality, Psalm 2 speaks of a very serious issue. It asks the question, why do the nations rage and the people imagine a vain and foolish thing? We're going to talk about that here on Viewpoint today, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Indeed. Apparently, David understood something as inspired by God that the rest of us haven't quite grasped yet. He asked a question, a provocative question, why do the heathen or the nations rage and the people imagine a vain and foolish thing. Well, what is it, the vain and foolish thing that they imagine? It's the unified world government. With a king, a ruler, who will sit to rule the world on the Temple Mount. How do we know that? Because David, in fact, talks about it. He says, yet I have set my king on my holy hill. In other words, in contradistinction to what the world is going to try to do and will do, setting a counterfeit Christ, an imposter upon the throne, God himself has already pre-declared, yet have I set my king on my holy hill of Zion. You can find that in Psalm 2, verse 6. And God says, I will declare the decree. 
You are my son, Messiah, anointed one, and this day have I begotten you. And you shall dash the nations, the Gentile nations, in pieces like a potter's vessel. So, believe it or not, the prophet Joel says, proclaim this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. He says, the Lord says, prepare war. Beat your plowshares into swords, your pruning hooks into spears. Assemble yourselves and come, all of you heathen or Gentile nations. Come on. What he's really saying in terms of, uh, shall we say, common parlance is, put up your dukes. Come on. Put up or shut up. Multitudes, multitudes are in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Who will be king of the mountain? We'll be right back. Stay tuned, friends. It's conversation as always with ever-increasing conviction talk that transforms. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we take a focus on why the nations are raging and the rage is increasing. What is it that they intend to do? Why is it that things are happening the way they are? Including the withdrawal from Afghanistan, including the increasingly coercive response to the COVID virus, or whether or not it's just the common flu named as the COVID virus in some instances, or even many instances. Because the test cannot discern between the flu and the COVID virus, in case you didn't know that. That has come as an admission from the CDC. But why these things are developing? What is it that's really going on? Everybody wants to talk about the who, what, where, and when. But very few people want to really talk about the why. And it's the why question that really goes to the heart of the matter. Why? Why do the the nations rage? Why do the people imagine a vain and foolish thing? What is this all about, in other words? That's what David was asking. But then God also put in his mind and in his heart the answer to the question. The raging against the Lord and against his anointed. Well, who are his anointed? The Bible states that his anointed is Israel as a people. Very clearly states that. But then again, there is a further anointed one referred to as the Messiah. Yeshua, Hamashiach, the Messiah. The Holy One of Israel that is rejected by Israel. He came unto his own, his own received him not, but as many as would receive him. To them he gave authority to become the sons of God, even to as many as would believe on his name. Precious few. That's why Jesus said, straight is the gate, 
narrow is the way and precious few there will be that truly ultimately find it and walk that way. But broad is the way that leads to destruction and many shall go in thereat. That is the way of the people and the nations to the new world order ushering in through that context and that radical shift in global vision to usher in a counterfeit Christ figure known as the Antichrist or imposter. Now, if you want to know more about that person, then I would suggest you get a copy of our book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. It's not about giving him a name. It's about identifying his characteristics. Many people have tried to guess and speculate with regard to his name and identity in that regard. That's a foolish enterprise. What the Bible does is give us the characteristics so that we will not be fooled or deceived or sucked in by his flattery. He will gain the kingdom by flattery. He is going to receive his power and his authority by delegation, not by election. It is going to be by delegation from the leaders of ten nations or regional governments, ten authorities, that will, in total frustration, because the world cannot be brought together unless there is one who seems to be able to bring it together. And that will be the imposter Christ. So you need to get a hold of that book, Antichrist, How to Identify the Coming Imposter. It's a $22 book on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. If you're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, I'm going to make another offer of a book today that goes along, actually accentuates this battle that is going, that is framing up between who will be king of the mountain. That book is called King of the Mountain, the eternal end time, an epic battle, for he who rules the temple mount rules the world. It's an $18 book, $20 book, actually, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. And it will help you help God's people, including their pastors, to understand the greater panoply, not only of God's purposes, but of the developments that have been taking place, not only today, but going back to creation and even before when Satan encountered God on the Mount of God in heaven. That's what the Bible says. He walked on the stones of fire, and he said, I will be like the Most High God. I will ascend to the heights of the north. Mm. So the battle then was declared. This is why the nations are raging, because they have and are embracing increasingly Satan's goal. What is Satan's goal? To rule and reign over the planet, 
over God's creation. If God says, I'm going to place my son, my king, on my holy hill, then Satan says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to do it before you do, ha-ha. And so he's going to seek to preempt Jesus from ruling and reigning from the Temple Mount. I mean, whether or not you realize it, the papacy, the Pope has already declared that their intention is to rule from the Temple Mount, not from Jerusalem. Excuse me, not from uh, Rome, but from Jerusalem, from the Temple Mount. Maybe you didn't know that. You'll find that in the book, King of the Mountain. The epic, eternal, and end-time battle. So get a copy of it. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. You can write to us at Save America Ministries. Or you can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Now, again, if you're writing a check, at $5 for postage and handling. Now, if you get both of those books together, you'll only pay $7 for postage and handling instead of $5 for each. So you'll save $3 in postage and handling. If you really want to understand the dynamics of what is taking place, I urge you to get a copy of those books. It will open your eyes. There's a reason why a Jewish talk show host interviewed me for seven hours. Seven hours, an hour a day for seven weeks concerning the book King of the Mountain. It was so astounding to him, so revealing to him. It's not about trumping myself. I have no no uh, dog in the fight, so to speak. I believe that the Lord revealed this understanding so that his people might be better prepared, so that the things that are coming upon the earth will not take us unawares. Now, this term, New World Order, people are debunking it. They're mocking people who will say it. And I want to urge you to be careful when you do say it. Because if you are thinking, if in your mind, your primary focus is on the salvation of America as an institution, you're missing the point. That's why people get concerned, because... They can't make the connection. It doesn't seem that way to them. So they call it a conspiracy theory. But the real issue is not whether or not uh, America as a political institution exists or not. The real issue is who will be king of the mountain, who will rule and reign on the planet. In that sense, then, a new world order with a biblical understanding now takes on a whole new understanding. Not the matter of a conspiracy theory, but rather a revelation of how biblical prophecy is coming to pass and will continue to do so. You may not know that in 1950, a man by the name of James Paul Warburg gave an address 
to the U.S. Senate Committee on Foreign Relations in 1950. The date was February 17, 1950. And here's what he said. We shall have world government whether or not we like it. The only question is whether world government will be achieved by consent or by conquest. Would you like me to reread that? Just in case it was so jogging of your sensibilities that you couldn't quite grasp it. Here it is. James Paul Warburg, a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, declared before the U.S. Senate Committee on Foreign Relations these words, we shall have world government whether or not we like it. The question is only whether world government will be achieved by consent or conquest. Friends, that goes back to five years after the end of World War II. That goes five years after my birth. That was 71 years ago. Do you now deny the idea of a one-world government? Do you now still think that it's a conspiracy theory? Who was this man, James Paul Wardberg? He was a German-born American banker. He was well-known for being the financial advisor to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. His father was banker Paul Warburg, a member of the Warburg family and the father of the Federal Reserve System. Do I have your attention yet? We're talking about whether or not this is a conspiracy theory. It is not. Now, when this article came out from the Australian health official who declared whether wittingly or unwittingly, that they were operating according to the new world order in Australia with regard to the COVID issue. When that came out and all of these articles to debunk any reality to what she said came out, I determined I'm going to do a little more research. And that's the kind of thing you should do too. Not relying don't even rely upon what this broadcaster is saying. You do your own research. Be like the Berean to search the scriptures, for instance, to search out the facts, not just what certain mouths are saying. And so I went online. And I was looking for those articles and so on that would reveal whether or not this concept of the New World Order was just a sham, was just a conspiracy theory, or was a reality that was meaningful in our time? Would you like to know what I came up with in a matter of about 15 minutes? This was not an exclusive study. This was an effort, without wasting too much of God's time, to verify whether or not the concept of a new world order was real and real right now. So let's go to 1990. This is an article from the Washington Post. 
The Washington Post published the speech of President George Herbert Walker Bush before a joint session of Congress. It was in the context of Gulf War One. You remember when people put out all the ribbons on the trees and so on? That's what it was. So here's what he said, among other things. I'm reading exactly from his speech. A new partnership of nations has begun. We stand today at a unique and extraordinary moment. The crisis in the Persian Gulf, as grave as it is, also offers a rare opportunity to move toward an historic period of cooperation. Out of these troubled times, he said, our fifth objective, a new world order, can emerge. An era in which the nations of the world, east and west, north and south, can prosper and live in harmony. This, he said, is the vision that I shared with Russian President Gorbachev. Wow. Was he in conspiracy with Russia? We'll be back, friends. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. The nations are raging indeed. They're raging a pursuit of peace in opposition to the Prince of Peace. That's what they're doing. And by definition, then, they are embracing the Prince of Peace's counterfeit called the Antichrist because he is anti or against Christ. He is the one who declared, I will ascend to the heights of the north, I will be like the Most High God. His name is Lucifer. The sun of the morning, the bright star. That's where we get that term lucid, you see. Light. Lucent. And we could talk more about that, but we don't have time today. But why do the nations rage? Sometimes you wouldn't necessarily think it was a rage because here is George Herbert Walker Bush in 1990 addressing a joint session of Congress saying no peaceful international order is possible if larger states can devour the smaller neighbors. What he did was declare what was going to be necessary for the United States of America, the most powerful nation on the planet, to be assimilated into the new world or global order. They would have to be brought down. Their wealth, their power, economically, militarily, 
uh, allegiance to their own country and so on would have to be so dramatically reduced that they would not be able to resist the great world effort toward a new world order, a new global government, to usher in Satan's declared counterfeit prince of peace, the Antichrist. So George Herbert Walker Bush declared, out of these troubled times comes our fifth objective, a new world order. It's an era in which the nations of the world, east and west, north and south, can prosper and live in harmony. That's the supposed goal. So when Klaus Schwab, the head of the World Economic Forum, who has been gathering the leaders of uh, multinational corporations, the big political and business gurus of the world for years now, came out last year and declared the Great Reset. What he was actually doing is using those terms to replace the term New World Order because the term New World Order had made people so skeptical. But he made it not skeptical at all. He made it very clear. And he said the Great Reset will be accomplished by 2030. That's the same year that the United Nations has established to achieve its 2030 agenda. Isn't that interesting? And friends, that is less than eight and a half years from this moment. Now, when George Herbert Walker Bush stated in his speech in 1990 that this is the same vision that he shared with President Gorbachev, the former president of the Soviet Union. What was he actually saying? Would you like to know? He was saying that Mikhail Gorbachev and I have come to the conclusion that we must have a new world order and that because he had such renown as president of Russia, and I'm the president of the United States, we can put our minds and our hearts together to achieve and help lead the world into this new salvation of humankind. And so he said the test we face is great. Well, it is. He also said the test we face is great, and so are the stakes. Indeed, they are. The stakes are greater than you might even possibly imagine, my friends because they are going to lead the multitudes of this planet to perdition. Mr. Gorbachev then went, made his residence in the United States of America in San Francisco, and established his offices in the Presidio, a former military installation for the United States of America, and from there... He has worked feverishly to establish the one world order. Are you listening? Now, with that having been said, let me just take a few quick journeys through a number of articles to help you understand that this is not a conspiracy theory. This came in April of 2012 
from the Harvard Business Review. Now, you wouldn't think that liberal Harvard would be talking about the New World Order, would you? No, because it's just a conspiracy theory, right? And yet that's exactly the title of this article, The New New World Order. Not the old New World Order, the new New World Order. In other words, this is the one, this is the Great Reset, this is the one that the uh, leaders of the world have been working toward for a very long time. And, dare I say, the Barack Obama was trying to implement by reducing the power, the economic power, the relational power, the uh, investment of allegiance and so on to the United States of America. That's what he was trying to do. Bill Clinton before him was a consummate globalist, a Rhodes Scholar who owed his allegiance to Cecil Rhodes, who was one of the earliest conceivers and expressors of the New World Order. And so Hillary Rodham Clinton herself was a consummate globalist. Now you can perhaps better understand why in the election of 2016, they despised Donald Trump and were ready to crucify him by whatever means necessary because he threatened by declaring we're going to make America great again. He threatened what they believed was the cusp of pushing the entire world into this new global world government. That's why. George Herbert Walker Bush, a Republican president, voted for Hillary Clinton. I hope you understand that. It's not, this is not uh, a matter of Democrats and Republicans. There are many, many Republicans who are dyed-in-the-wool globalists, and they also opposed Donald Trump in every way they could. Now, we're not here to exalt Donald Trump. We're here to help us understand the dynamics that are taking place. Next. Another article, Japan and the New World Order. Next article, Globalization is dead and we need to invent a new world order. That came out two years ago. What were they saying? The previous efforts at globalization had now reached their peak. Now we need to take it to the next step for the true, final, complete, new world global government. The next, are we ready to embrace a new world order? You know where that article came from? America's foremost business magazine, Forbes. Mm-hmm. Do you think they would be promoting some sort of a, a skeptical con- Conspiracy theory? No. Next, Politico. The world order is dead. Here's how to build a new one for a post-coronavirus era. Oh, a new one. Why a new one? 
because the old one was only used as a means, a hyphen, to get to where we are today to build this final Tower of Babel world order. Next, from Bloomberg.com, a new world order for the coronavirus era is emerging. In other words, the coronavirus issue is being used to catapult the entire world, especially the Western world, into this new world order or government. Next, Nature Magazine, going back to 1942, had this title, Foundations of the New World Order. Now, if you want to think of this in just political terms, you're missing the point. The nations are determining destiny, friends. The drum roll announcing the opening of the final curtain on the divine drama of human history is fading and revealing the spectacular conflict that soon uh, takes center stage. And the nations are raging. They are. And that's why David the psalmist asked the provocative question that's echoing to this moment right here on the edge of eternity. Why do the heathen or the nations rage? Now, we're going to explore that the reason for that, when we get back, the further reason for that, and the resolution of it, when we get back from this upcoming break. Before we do, I want to just uh, alert our listeners in Massachusetts and Connecticut and the surrounding areas. Many who are listening to this program, uh, perhaps uh, with a podcast, but through WACE, they're in Chicopee, Massachusetts. For many years, we have gone to Chicopee for a special breakfast for our listeners there because we have so many of them. Once again, I want to alert you that on October 23rd, October 23rd, we will be joining you there at the Crestview Country Club in Agawam, Massachusetts for another one of our breakfasts. I hope You will make your reservation because reservations are necessary and they must be made by October 13th. Contact our, go to our web store, saveus.org and make your reservation. We'll be back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. It's the battle for King of the Mountain. 
who are the contestants for the battle of King of the Mountain? First of all, they're represented by nations. Nations and political powers, each and, and religious powers, by the way, each designing to rule and reign from the planet, on, over the planet for the Temple Mount. You may wonder about Islam, for instance. Fundamentalist Islam, Islamists have already declared, making it very, very clear that they do not intend to rule from Mecca. They intend to rule the world from Jerusalem and from the Temple Mount. Maybe you didn't know that. But you will find out if you read the book King of the Mountain. You'll find out. You'll find out a lot of things because there are hundreds and hundreds of citations that will help support that we do not speak spuriously here on this program. It's serious business. I'm accountable before God for the things that are said here. We do not, we're not here to be sensationalistic. We're not here even to sell books. And let me just say this. I make no money from these books. Yes, I've written the books. Yes, we form our own publishing company in order to get them out because with three efforts through three Christian publishing companies, we had such problems that we determined the only way for us to get these out and get them out quickly is to form our own company called Elijah Books to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. So, with the proceeds of sale from these books, they are reserved in an account, and they go to help prepare for the next book because it's very expensive. It's very expensive, not only to get the books published, but all the things that go with it, including promotion. And so from one to the other, over a period of two years, we're able to get them out. It's not a profit-making venture. You need to understand that. In fact, yours truly receives no remuneration for this radio program or through Save America Ministries. Zero. Never has and never will. This is a labor of love because I believe that God called me to leave the practice of law to plead his ultimate cause, first as a voice to the church and then glaring, declaring vision for our nation and the world in history's final hour. And we're there. How long is that hour? I cannot tell you exactly, but certainly we're in the season. I think you know that. So, we've been talking about the nations raging. We've been talking about the battle for King of the Mountain. The contestants are the nations, first of all. China wants to be King of the Mountain, has already declared so. Xi Jinping has declared that China will rule the world within 25 years. Islam wants to rule the world. And they believe that these are the end times. And that's the reason why, for instance, Iran is absolutely intent on preserving their nuclear power because they believe that that will be necessary to create the chaos that they believe will be required to usher in the Islamic Messiah called the Mahdi. And they intend to rule the world from the Temple Mount. 
Russia intends to rule the world and believes because of a 1,500-year-old prophecy that Russia is destined to be the final expression of the church and will usher in the return of Christ. Sounds strange, I know, but that's the way it is, and you'll find it in the book, King of the Mountain. Then in addition to that, there is the Western One World Order that is emerging. It doesn't include China, may or may not include Russia, we don't know, but it will include the Western world, which is the resurrection of the Roman Empire. Just as Daniel the prophet foretold, all of the Western nations have their roots in Rome. And then in addition, there is another Rome called the Vatican. It's a geopolitical religious Rome. And the papacy itself has declared that it will rule and reign from the Temple Mount. Not from the Vatican, but from Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Are these things catching you a little bit by surprise? Then you have not read the book King of the Mountain or Antichrist. You really need to do so. So let's talk what... The resolution is of Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage, the nations rage, and the people imagine a vain and foolish thing? They have set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed Israel and also against Christ, the anointed one. Saying, let's tear their bands asunder. But God's response is, he's going to laugh. He's going to laugh at them. You'll find it right there in Psalm 2, just a few verses. And then he says, I'm going to have them in derision. I'm going to make them go crazy. Even George Frederick Handel recorded that in his massive oratorio called Messiah. Why do you think he did that? Because it's so important to the understanding of our times and the trajectory of history. So, God said, you guys, you kings of the earth, you better watch out. You better watch out because I have set my king on my holy hill. In fact, God also said in another, in Ezekiel, in my holy mountain, in the mountain of the height of Israel, there shall all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, serve me. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I shall bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I lifted up my hand to give it to your fathers. Unfortunately, it's not just the Arab or Muslim nations who rage against Israel. It's a global phenomenon. And it's growing geometrically month after month, year after year. So where is it going to end? It's the collective animus of the Gentile world against the Jewish people that's resulting in a calamitous confrontation with the Lord of Nations. And even the church now has joined in the fray against the Lord and against his anointed. But God says, 
through Abraham, I will bless them that bless you and curse them that curse you. So why is it the heathen are raging? Why is it the Gentiles are raging? Friends, it's profound envy. And envy is a killer emotion. Envy caused Joseph to be thrown in a pit and sold into slavery. Envy caused Jesus to be crucified. Envy caused every one of the disciples to lose their life, including the Apostle Paul, except for John. Envy is horrible. An unrestrained envy coupled with the rebellion against the God of Israel gives a kind of perverse rationality to the nation's rage. They're venting their historic hatred and envy against the people that were once delivered from the bondage of Egypt, and they're joining with the voice of Pharaoh from old, saying, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? So, as you know, uh, Proverbs sixteen eighteen says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So these nations and their prideful potentates, including the New World Order, including China, including even the papacy that were designed to place the Pope on the seat of Christ in Jerusalem. All of these, the New World Order, all of these are going to be treated with derision by the Lord. And so he says, look, prepare war. In other words, put up your dukes. It's time to have it out. Joel chapter 3, verse 9, proclaim this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Assemble yourselves and come on, let's do it out. Come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat so I can judge you there. For your wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. So, Joel says, the Lord shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens of the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Now you understand the title of the book, King of the Mountain. Who's going to rule and reign? That's the whole issue with regard to the New World Order and all of the developments that are taking place in our world as we speak. So, you think these are the last days? Do you think this is the season? How will the eternal battle for a king of the holy mountain end? God has told us, I will put my king on my holy hill. And the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, and the haughtiness of men shall be made low. And the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day as king. Wow. Powerful stuff, don't you think? But here's my final question to you. We may talk about king of the mountain, but actually the Temple Mount is, in some respects, a metaphor for your heart. 
Because ultimately, we know that the Lord God doesn't live in temples made with hands, don't we? Even though there will be a rebuilt temple, and Satan will walk into it through his counterfeit Christ figure, the Antichrist, to claim rulership over the planet, political, economic, spiritual, you name it. He'll claim it. But Jesus himself will come with a shout. He's going to come with the, come with the sound of the trumpet and the archangel. And he is going to take his place and depose that wicked potentate called the Antichrist. And Satan himself will be thrown ultimately into the lake of fire together with the beast. Well, we've woven a lot together here on Viewpoint today, and I'm so glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk, talk that transforms. So my question again is, who is reigning on the temple mount of your heart? Don't answer too quickly. Because if Christ, Yeshua, the Lord of nations, the creator of the universe was actually ruling and reigning in the minds and hearts on the throne of the life of professing Christians in this country, our country would be radically different today. And it's proof positive that he's not reigning. And neither is he ruling. So who's ruling? Well, I guess a couple of secular advertisers for the J. Walter Thompson Advertising Agency got it right. In their book in 1990, The Day America Told the Truth, they asked the question, who is the new moral authority in America? Their answer, you are, partner, you are. Christ isn't ruling and reigning on the throne in America, even in among the life of many Christians today. And it's time to get ready. It's time to get ready, friend, to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. People get ready. Jesus is coming soon. We'll be coming home. Thanks for joining us here on the program. Get the two books, King of the Mountain and also Antichrist, uh, unveiling or uh, discerning the identity of the great imposter. Thanks for joining us. Become a partner. Send your gifts by faith, friends, to save America ministry. Do it today. Don't delay. Don't wait for the other guy to do it. It's time to get on board. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.